Hello friends, how are we doing today? This is Rachel Larson with the Life is Hard, God is Good podcast. In this podcast, we are real about the hardships that we face in life while also seeing and remembering how God is good even when we don't see it, even when we don't understand it. Jesus tells us that in this world we will face troubles, but to take heart because he has overcome the world. So he doesn't promise us that life will be easy, but he does promise that he will be with us. And last week we were talking about dealing with change and about how change can be hard. Sometimes these changes happen because of our sinful, disobedient decisions. I know I've experienced hardships as natural consequences to things that I was struggling with. And sometimes life just happens. We live in a sinful, fallen world. So even if it's not a direct punishment for your sin, and I mean, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, bad things can happen because of someone else's sin or the broken systems that have been created and built and sustained by sinners. People steal from you, get you get fired, you lose your friends, you get broken up with, your girlfriend cheats on you, another natural disaster occurs that harms your loved ones, your bosses turn out to be different than you thought, the government does a new surprising corrupt thing, or even worse, the church leaders do terribly corrupt things while wearing the name of Jesus. And as we talked about last week, so you should check out last week's episode if you haven't already, but Jesus experienced the worst change ever because he went from heaven to earth. So he can empathize with our negative changes. But obviously we know that change can also be good. And this week we are focusing on how good change can be. We can get promoted, build a solid community, get married, become parents, achieve our dreams, change careers, and fall in love with a new job. We can see the impact we make in people's lives. We can grow and heal from wounds and struggles and addictions. The important thing to remember, though, is that good changes are not things that we earn. We like to think that we can earn a good life by doing good things, or Even worse, we think we can earn getting into heaven by doing good deeds, that somehow it balances out the bad things that we do. The truth is that God's mercy falls on the righteous and the wicked alike. He is so good, so goodness flows from him. He is merciful, so mercy radiates from him. He is just, so justice flows from him. He is holy, And just as the sun shines on the wicked and the righteous, not because they are righteous or wicked, but because it is bright, in the same way, God pours out blessings, not because of anything we have done, not because we are righteous or wicked, but because He is a good, generous, holy God. Blessings are gifts of grace because of who He is. However, this doesn't mean we should just live however we want. You know, if blessings are grace, I can be wicked and still be blessed. No, no, no. We still want to be obedient and follow his ways because it just makes sense. After all, he made the world so he knows how it works. So wouldn't that make sense to listen to the manufacturer and the one who sustains the universe? Why would we think that we know better after living on this earth for 20, 30, or 60 years and having a limited view 
based on your culture, the people you grew up around, your education. We don't know all things, and we don't live for a long time on this earth. So maybe we should listen to the one who is omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent. But also, more importantly, because he loves us and wants what is best for us. So he gives us these commands to help us live in such a way to become more like him. And if we love him back, we will obey his commands, not just because he says so, but because we trust him and want to please him. But anyway, change can be good, and we know that Jesus experienced not only the worst change, but he also experienced the best change ever because he was raised from death to life. He really died on a cross to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins, was dead for three days, which in Jewish tradition meant that he was really dead, and he victoriously defeated death and rose on the third day and really was alive because he presented himself to many people. His disciples felt the holes in his hands and his feet and his side, and he ate food. So it's not like he just came back as a ghost. He went from the worst situation ever to the best. I mean, he was rejected by men and his friends betrayed him and denied him and religious leaders and political powers mocked him and beat him and handed him over to the crowds of people who chose a terrible criminal to be released rather than him. He was hung on a cross in the most gruesome way so that each breath was excruciatingly painful. But even as he hung there, he cried, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He gave up his spirit and died and was buried in a tomb. Then he was raised to life. Now he sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. His name is above every other name, and someday every knee will bow to him. He could not have experienced a worse situation, and now no name is higher than his. And, spoiler alert, we know that he wins in the end and has victory over all evil. And guess what? He offers the same to us. Death to life. So this passage is from Romans 8, and it talks about death and life, and uses words such as flesh and the spirit. And the flesh is when we're living in our sin and choosing what feels good based on our sinful nature, how we just naturally are because we are fallen and imperfect people. But the spirit is the supernatural power that comes only from him. And that is what gives us life and peace. So Romans 8 says, therefore, there is no, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirements would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. And that power, that same power that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in you. So while we experience all kinds of wonderful changes in the world, the best change that we can experience is death to life. It's forgiveness and healing. So with talking about how good change can be, we're going to focus on two things. Healing is one, and two is continuing. So one, healing. God has helped me overcome lots of struggles and healed from a lot of things that both I've caused by my own sin and things that have just happened to me because we are in a fallen world. He has helped me overcome heartbreak, eating disorders, depression, fear of death, my knee injury and surgery, fear of rejection because of my adoption story, idol of perfection, idol of marriage, suicidal thoughts. He has helped me through all of that. He's given me so much healing and it's all for his glory. I am no longer dead in my sins. I'm no longer trying to earn perfection or be good enough for people to keep me. I am no longer trying to make my body look a certain way or be as small as possible. I am no longer scared of death, nor am I suicidal. I no longer idolize imperfect people in my relationships with them over our perfect holy God. I am alive. I am a child of God. I am free. My identity is found in being His not being accepted or loved by people. And whenever he decides that I take my last breath, I know it's just the beginning. And all of this because of Jesus. So back in the Old Testament days before Jesus came, the prophet Isaiah foretold about how Jesus would change everything in Isaiah 61. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. This change that Jesus would bring was good because he is good. He is merciful. He is just. And then he became close. Not because we earned it or made ourselves clean first by making sacrifices. He came close because he loves us. He loves you. He wants to draw near to you and you to draw close to him. For you to be his and for him to be yours. And when he came, he fulfilled the word that Isaiah spoke. It was really God's word, and Isaiah was a willing vessel. But he always does what he says. His word does not return to him empty, but accomplishes what he desires and achieves the purpose for which he sent it, which is also a word spoken by Isaiah. And we see in Luke chapter 4, this is talking about Jesus. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, 
because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. When he walked the earth, he hung out not with the religious leaders and the high-up guys. I mean, he is God. He could have if he wanted to. But instead, he hung out with the tax collectors and sinners. He approached the sick and the dead and the sinners to clean them. Unlike in the Old Testament times, he didn't distance himself from the unclean, waiting for them to fix themselves first. Instead, he approached them. And here's just a couple examples. This is from Luke chapter 18. As he, Jesus, as he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Hearing a crowd passing by, he inquired what was happening. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, they told him. So he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those in front told him to keep quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. When he came closer, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. Receive your sight, Jesus told him. Your faith has saved you. Instantly he could see, and he began to follow him, glorifying God. All the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. And this is from Luke chapter 5. On one of those days while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem, and the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then, some men came, carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles in the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Immediately, he got up before them, picked up what, had been, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God, and they were filled with awe and said, We have seen incredible things today. So these are just a couple of the many examples of Jesus healing and forgiving. He healed the lame so they walked, the sick so they were well, the dead he raised to life. He healed the woman with the issue of bleeding, the lepers, and then in Luke chapter 5, But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So, part one is healing. Jesus has the power to heal. He can heal you from anything. And more importantly, he can forgive you of anything. And two is continuing. So, recently I actually saw an Instagram post about conversation between two brothers and the older brother tells the younger to be careful 
when you go through therapy and healing from mental illness and other issues, because some people get so caught up in their struggles that they don't know who they are without them. Then they revert back to their past issues to feel again, to feel something, to feel like themselves. Healing is amazing, but sometimes people identify themselves with their struggles, so when they aren't struggling, they don't know who they are. The thing about temptation is that it does not go away just because you have been healed. Temptation does not disappear because you have been delivered from a struggle. The devil will try to do anything to pull you back. The Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt after God delivered them from slavery and brought them through the Red Sea. When they encountered a new obstacle, they begged to go back to Egypt. And when I say a new obstacle, I mean they're walking with God who literally split the Red Sea in half and conquered all their enemies, and they saw Him work all these signs and wonders and miracles with the plagues and just bringing them freedom after being enslaved for 400 years. And their obstacles were like not having food or water in the desert, which there's not a lot in the desert. And instead they remembered the onions and melons they got to eat in Egypt. Besides deliverance and freedom from slavery, God gave them daily bread, the manna, provided them water, kept them safe from their enemies, guided them through a cloud by day and a pillar of cloud by night. His presence was with them, and He gave them laws and commands for them to follow to stay close to Him. And yet, this is what Numbers 11 says. This is after God's provided all this. The riffraff among them had a strong craving for other food. The Israelites wept again and said, Who will feed us meat? We remember the free fish we ate in Egypt, along with the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. In the same way, I love how sometimes I read the Old Testament and think, oh, these silly Israelites, but I do the exact same thing. In the same way, God has delivered you from slavery to sin. He has washed you with his son's blood and taken you into new territory. But as you are delivered from slavery, you will still remember what was good about it. There's always something that draws us into our struggles, even though we know they bring death. There's something that entices us. However, we know that the best thing is freedom and life and forgiveness and love in Him. There are difficulties with following Jesus, of course, just as the Israelites faced issues in the desert. But don't focus on your past. Focus on where He has you now and the future of where He's taking you. We are not called to return to our struggles or stay in our sin. Jesus heals. He gives you a new name. We are to continue in that, not grow stagnant, not to go backwards. We must continue. You are not your past or current struggles. Your identity is not in your addiction, in the rejection you faced, in what you look like, in the numb feeling that substance gives you, in your failures, in your shortcomings. You are not your mental health. You are not your struggle. You are sons and daughters. You are his beloved. You are the bride of Christ if you are in him. That change that he brings to your life is amazing. You are a new creation. You are not the same once you have been raised from death to life. So don't walk in the old ways. This is from Romans 6. What should we say then? Should we continue in sins that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. 
that's kind of what we were talking about earlier, actually, with because grace is something that he gives freely. So can't I just sin however much I want? That's not the goal here. So continuing, how can we who die to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under law, but under grace. So we want to keep pressing on because we have been raised to this newness of life in Christ. Our sin is dead and gone. We are no longer slaves to it. We want to continue to grow, continue to heal, continue to be sanctified. It is a process. Don't lose heart. In 2 Corinthians, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Therefore, since we have this ministry because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Now we have this treasure in jars of clay, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, 
but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. When things get difficult, as they continue to be difficult, even when we are in Christ, we continue pressing on. We actively live in Him and learn from Him how to be more like Him, which is sanctification. And what did Jesus do? He shared life and healing and forgiveness. We should do the same. If you are healed, if you have been set free, delivered, and forgiven, who are you sharing that with? Join us next week as we talk about sharing Jesus with special guest Drew Larson, my husband. And may the Lord bless you and keep you.